2: And I'm Eliana Johnson.
0: Welcome to Bankstain Wretches, where we break down what's going wrong and what's going right with the American news media. Eliana Johnson, obligatory smoke in the air. Small talk, go.
2: I just want to say I was very pleased to have somebody message me on Twitter to say, you didn't say what? kind of amazon workout gear that you were recommending okay. and there's so many brands and i was happy to you know reply and recommend and then somebody messaged me saying i want to buy a knockoff chinese bag for my wife how do i do it so i'm just happy to like be spreading you know
0: but how does the smoke and you're supposed to talk about the smoke in the air all oh, anybody gosh. wants to talk about is the fact that it's smoky in town
2: i'm like i don't care
0: it's There's always smoke in the air in Washington, but it's usually weed smoke. So this is, yeah. uh, for me, a, a nice just, diversion yeah. to have Canadian wood smoke. Actually, Canadian wood smoke is the name of Colin Chicola's memoir. <laughs> it's true. But anyway, sorry, Cookie. But we should probably get right to what the people want.
2: I was thinking, when's the last time we've had as much big media news? Maybe when Tucker was fired, which is not that long ago. But what a time to be talk to yakking about the press. Best wretch ever. You know, we have only one item on the front page. Basically, all our other ones are A32, which we'll get to. So Chris Licht. The, the other Chris the other is Chris. no longer really the other Chris in that he was fired from his position as chairman and CEO of CNN on the heels of a 15,000-word Atlantic profile. So long. By my friend and former colleague, Tim Alberta, that ran last Friday.
0: Let's do a TikTok first. So Chris Lick got the job what, a year ago?
2: A year ago, 13 months ago, in April of 2022. And he
0: got the job because CNN was acquired in a deal with Discovery. They uh, became
2: Warner Brothers Discovery. And
0: the David Zasloff, the CEO of the parent company...
2: Warner Brothers Discovery, yeah.
0: ...had a mandate from one of his...
2: I think that's been a little bit overhyped. Okay. He, the, the comments of a board member, which I think deserved attention, and we covered them in the be- Beacon. His name is John Malone. Okay. He went on CNBC in 2021 and said, and essentially said, I wish CNN would get back to just doing the news as right. opposed to this hysterical Trump coverage. And so, of course, David Zaslav, who is the CEO of the company, heard his board member loud and clear. But one board member doesn't no, have no, no, that but, much power. But, but there was a consensus. But there was a consensus, right.
0: Corporate consensus right. behind the idea that it was time for CNN to move past the, the striding, highly partisan anti-Trump, blah, 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 blah. And they did a bunch of stuff, including they cashiered Brian Stelter.
2: Before that, oh, yeah. I would say they came up with, like, a, you know, a reason to push Jeff Zucker uh, out. Well, that was, you know, okay. He's having an affair with you, know, it, but it wasn't like a real, to me, in my opinion. But that's why we do this show. It was like a BS reason to push him out. It was an open secret. Swoman woman was also very powerful. He was wrong. He was, but it was, it was the, the wrong they thing to do. to put. They wanted to push him out. For other reasons. Because of his vision, because he was the architect of the strident anti-Trump right. turn the network had taken, and they wanted to install somebody who would take the network in a different And it direction. wouldn't be unreasonable so to want used, new leadership right, anyway. Right, right. So they used that as a pretext, which Zucker himself has now said in a New York Times piece that we'll get to. Okay. They used that as a pretext. And they put in Chris Licht, who was the man who was supposed to,
0: and well regard a, a a man well regarded in Washington well regarded community. as a phenom
2: for being like the Wonderkin producer of Morning Joe and then Stephen Colbert's show. He's in his mid forties, and the problem is, you know, he had an incredibly difficult task, which was you have all these famous and ego driven anchors, who, Don Lamont. who have been like they've their brands are being stridently anti-Trump right and he had to cut costs and fire people right so you're stepping into a job that is like designed to make you hated and he was in fact hated
0: he he and from the drop so uh, other changes so he fired so brian f- stelter fired brian stelter he, which
2: he fired john Har- harwood yep eventually he fired don lemon
0: Right. He moved the lineup around. He started the morning show, new morning show that eventually led to Don Lemon's termination. He put Caitlin Collins in primetime. The way that here the, the the narrative is, and then we can we can talk about what's wrong and right about the narrative, but the narrative is the Donald Trump town hall with Caitlin Collins in New Hampshire was the tipping point inside the organization and that they decided that it would that, that that CNN, which has a famously dense bureaucracy, and it we think of we don't think of it probably in these terms usually, but CNN for a news organization has now been around for a long time, right? Founded in 1981, and offices in New York and Atlanta, and that the sort of the deep state of CNN dug in its heels against Licht, and then the Alberta profile that you're that you mentioned.
2: Which and, I want to get into and, and talk about.
0: And, but the Alberta profile and the the question about the Alberta profile, Tim Alberta, a friend of mine, too, and a great writer. The question persists. Why would you give access to a journalist to spend a year, right? He got all of this access to Licht as part of this rebranding effort. And why? why would you do that? I don't understand the thinking behind it. You know, Tim did a good job but why would you why would you do that i guess they thought it would help
2: i am totally befuddled by the giving of access to another reporter extensive hours long yes embarrassing and it, people paid a lot of attention to the fact that Licht had alberta come with him to his celebrity trainer And I just wanted to quote a little bit from this article. Alberta writes, three years ago, Lick weighed 226 pounds, worried that he was losing control of his lifestyle. He went all in. No more breakfast, no drinking during the week, no more carbs or sweets. I'm an effing machine, Lick told me one day when when I asked why he was skipping a meal. He also found Masonette, whose gym J-Train caters to New York's elite actors, athletes, business tycoons. On this morning in March 2023, the CNN boss was down to 178 pounds. Lick jumped off the machine at Masonette's instruction. He squatted down to grab a long metal pole lying flat on the ground. Zucker couldn't do this. Blank. A, a, yeah, blank. Lick said through clenched oh. teeth, hoisting the pole with a grunt.
0: Oh. You know, and
2: I it, think it it like the granting of that kind of access bespeaks a lot of hubris, which is that yeah. You're gonna come off good.
0: I I mean, there's a thing where you say we're gonna give the reporter access, and we're gonna charm. I'm gonna charm him. I'm gonna charm the reporter. The Sean McEach episode continues to be a touchstone for us, which is if you have a good profile writer, and Tim Alberta is a good writer, you say I'm gonna let this guy in, and he's gonna be charmed by me, and he's gonna tell a story that is flattering of me because he's going to be so charmed by me. And I don't know if that's exactly what Chris Lick thought. I don't know who talked him into doing it, but man. when Well,
2: you... the PR reps were fired. Yeah. PR reps we'll were fired. To. Yes. There were a couple other things I thought were really interesting. And, and I like, in my view, the, the town hall and the Atlantic profile were merely the straw that broke the camel's back. This yeah. job clearly wasn't going to work out for Chris Licht, And, it made me reflect on, like, was this a doable job? And and then what were the preventable mistakes he made? And, you know, what could he have done differently? And one of the things I thought about in terms of my own management as well was that I don't think it was smart for him. He, he essentially came in and said that the direction that Zucker took this network was bad, knowing that Jeff Zucker was a beloved newsroom leader and we've got to be more centrist. And he was pretty strident about that. Coming down and, and
0: taking meetings with Republicans trying to a, and everything that he was saying was getting leaked out of CNN that he was trying to take the the network rightward.
2: And he also said it himself. And I think like one of the things I thought about and, you know, I I came into to running the Free Beacon and I'm not. Please, I'm not comparing these two things. He had like a much bigger job, but. You You can also lift heavy metal poles. I had an enormous amount of respect for my predecessor, Matt Continetti, and I thought, like, well, what would it have been like if I came into the Free Beacon and started saying, like, you know, the direction Matt took the beacon in was terrible, and we're going to go in this new direction. And And I was like, I don't think that would have been, like, received very well. It turns out I had a lot of respect for Matt. But also, I started thinking, like, I probably should have asked Matt a lot more questions about, like, what do you think you did that made you successful here? And so in terms of Licked, I thought, like, he should have, and and our friend Jack Schaefer, like, makes made this point in a column. Given that Zucker was enormously successful, and sure, he did some things Lick disagree with, he probably should have spent more time studying, like, what were the how things success, that made this guy successful? How successful was Zucker? He was successful at getting the talent on his side, which is, like, he, pretty important. But
0: he wasn't, you know, we talk a lot about the decline in CNN ratings, but CNN had trash ratings before like, they were not winning. They were they were a, a low, relatively speaking, poorly poorly rated organization, and they had no room for growth.
2: I totally agree with you. So let's put ratings to one side. Okay. I mean, in terms of just a mandate to lead the network, yeah. like, Licht ended up losing faith from above, and he had no faith from below. Right. So he couldn't lead the thing. But, like, I would have, I think, had— he should have had a bit more humble pie about, like, what it what did the people before me get right as opposed to only pointing out what they got wrong? And then, like, done a little bit more show, don't tell. Right. Like, you can fire these people without announcing why you're doing it and what right. point you hope to make. Like, people, people will get it. I... So those were sort of my thoughts about, like, I don't ultimately think it was a terribly doable job or remit in the sense that we've talked a lot about, well, like, Who's out there to hire, you know?
0: Well, and I, I think being the public face, so he, I think, was trying to do a Roger Ailes thing where he was the impresario, where he was the famous face that he, because he really got forward into that. I think that was a, a, a dubious choice because you become a lightning rod. And if you don't have, the, the advantage that Roger Ailes had was he was starting from basically nothing, right? He was building Fox from the ground up. Coming into CNN with this deep bureaucracy and with the, the many problems that they have internally in terms of who's on the staff and the changes that have to be made, I think what, what would have worked better probably, and I hate to gainsay, I mean, as you say, this was an extraordinarily difficult thing to do, what would have probably worked better would have been water on a rock, right? To, to keep pushing, to keep pushing, and to, re- and to remain out of, out of frame. And be an enigmatic figure as opposed to trying to be an impresario. And that though would have required something important, which is a real new face. And I he he came to Caitlin Collins late in the game, right? That he got her on the morning show and he was doing his best to elevate her, but she was the personification of the network that he wanted to see. And that it would have been it would have been easier for him if he would have advanced faces and voices that were emblematic of what he wanted rather than being the face and voice himself.
2: Totally agree. Like there I think it is tremendously hard, if not impossible, to both be a be a celebrity and be a manager. In a lot of ways, they're mutually exclusive. And like for the past year, He's like been the story and right. been the celebrity what what you really want and and in a lot of ways like Jeff Zucker is kind of like uh, licked licked is sort of handsome and young Zucker Zucker's like more portly and old and short like he he was less photogenic telegenic like nobody was ever snapping photographs of him there was a certain he was more Roger in his, like, l- look and identity. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, nobody was like, let's put this F- guy on fired TV. Fired
0: after a sex scandal. Right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, he
2: was not going to be in the gym, like, pushing sleighs and all this stuff where—
0: <laughs> No, Roger was you, not pushing sleighs. You really
2: sleighs. don't want to be the, headlo- the headlines to be about you, which is something I think, like, came too late when you're managing. And it's something, like, that I've— realized without being sort of conscious of it in that I used to do TV all the time and like I don't I don't miss that at all but it is not a part of my job as a manager right.
0: really well and like
2: my job is to mint new people who to go get booked on TV
0: that's right that that is right and I think Licht got it was it was a tough place for him to be he has my sympathies I find less sympathetic though Jeff Zucker's effort to come back to CNN which is outlined this
2: this was yeah, in this New York Times, piece, this ben reminded Mullen me in the, so in the New York, much York Times. of Bob Iger and Bob Cha- Chapek at Disney where Chapek was in that job for 13 months and Iger never left the frame, was hovering over him and trying to sandbag him. And that does seem very much to me like what's been well, happening with lick at CNN. And,
0: and it also seems like sour grapes and it also seems like, so here's the lead in Ben Mullen's piece. The seminar was to be on media leadership. Dozens of students filling a classroom at Eliana Johnson's alma mater, Yale University, in April, were there to learn about the business from a man who had commanded attention in TV control rooms and corporate boardrooms for decades before a stunning exit last year. What they got was remarkable candor about that exit. Jeff Zucker, who had been president of CNN for nine years, told the group that he believed the network's former owners used his relationship with Allison Gallist, who was also in attendance. as a pretext for removing him, three people familiar with his comments said. So well, what
2: candor? I what mean, candor.
0: I like, was wrong. Like something every, right?
2: everyone can see with their own eyes. But
0: also he yes. was candid about saying that he was poorly yeah, they, treated. Yes. That's real. That's real candor. I think if could could CNN take Zucker back? I can't imagine a scenario in which they could take him back.
2: Given the direction they want to take the network and. The piece says executives at Warner Brothers Discovery believe Mr. Zucker is waging a proxy war against Mr. Licht, undermining his leadership from afar, according to three people familiar with their thinking. So it's hard for me to see them taking back someone they think just helped create a mess, a PR debacle and sandbag his successor. And although, you know, they might have some respect for his success in. Shiving the guy,
0: maybe, but but I,
2: I think it's unlikely.
0: And don't you think it's most likely that CNN gets sold?
2: I do think that's a possibility. I also wonder at this point whether Zucker would want to come back and lead a network. Oh, I think
0: he'd love to. I think he'd love for them to come crawling scenario, back. Well,
2: yes, he'd love for them to come crawling back and say, you know, here's the middle finger. But
0: I, I think David Rhodes. I think there are some names, I think Rhodes is at the top of a, the the. Former Fox, former CBS executives, who's n- who's now at Sky News. I think he's at the top of the list of people who could conceivably do this.
2: It's interesting because I think, Dave, he's also at the top of the list of someone who I think could su- succeed Suzanne Fox at Fox News. Yeah,
0: but that, the Sky, the, the yeah, most certainly he would have been the he would have been a better choice. But it'd be interesting to I don't know what his contract with Sky News and Europe is and all of that stuff, but he he would be one. I think you I think CNN needs to start over. For sure, but I think it's going to be starting over, sold to somebody, because if you are Discovery, and the problem was, what do we really do with this thing, right? What do we do? Remember, they 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 shut down its streaming platform because they wanted to direct it in all into the Discovery Plus platform. They wanted to do all this other stuff, but CNN is, you know, it's not it's not a great business.
2: It does, I think, underline the fact that. And I was thinking about this this week that we follow this so closely. We live in Washington where, like, we accord status for whatever reason to people who work at CNN. But, like, this is a business in decline that is becoming oh, yeah. increasingly irrelevant.
0: Martin Pierce headline. And r-
2: that who would want this job?
0: The real CNN drama is cable news is growing irrelevance. To paraphrase Tolstoy, each unhappy TV channel is unhappy in its own way. And as illustrated by the lead-up to the Wednesday exit of CNN CEO Chris Licht, the cable news channel hasn't been a happy place lately. That's not likely to change now that Licht is gone. Beyond the gossipy drama behind his departure is the reality that CNN and its corporate parent Warner Brothers Discovery are struggling with the fallout from a decade of cord-cutting. In a world where far fewer people pay for cable and where consumers face an oversupply of online news outlets, cable news channels no longer have a reason to exist. Speaking of growing irrelevance, The Sunday talk show, the Sunday shows are experiencing a change this week as Chuck Todd announced that he is going to spend more time with his family and not anchor Meet the Press anymore and will be replaced by Kristen Welker, who is described as a rising star at NBC News. And you and I talked about we in our text thread talked about the significance of how we both forgot to put the story in the thread until late in the week. Because and look, the news
2: basically washed over us.
0: Yeah, it was because Sunday shows, and this is something I've talked about many times before on here. Sunday shows exist because after the Newton Minow vast wasteland period, where broadcasters were being called to account for pumping garbage out across the FCC regulated airwaves, broadcasters said we're going to do public. Interest broadcasting. This is why the Tavis Smiley show or whatever sort of community broadcasting is done. And where did they put it? They put it in the least valuable. They put it in the least valuable time slot, which was mo- Sunday morning, when no one watches TV. And then it evolved into an institution in which this was the only place that you could get political coverage. Once political coverage became inescapable the value of the Sunday show. So I, uh, my, my sympathies to Chuck Todd and also to his predecessor, David Gregory, everybody wanted to be Tim Russert, but there wasn't going to be another Tim Russert and there wasn't going to be another, who was it at ABC?
2: Cokie Roberts?
0: No, 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 before that.
2: Sam Donaldson?
0: Even before that, oh, I've drawn a blank on his name, but those institutions... Uh, he was
2: irreplaceable, that what's-his-name...
0: No, no, no. He got in trouble because he talked about Bill Clinton's solipsism one time. But these these powerful panel shows, right, Face the Nation, Meet the Press, and ABC This Week. David Brinkley, thank you, Nate Moore. David oh, Brinkley. I would
2: never have come up with that.
0: So, So those institutions... Were eclipsed by cable news, which is now being eclipsed by the internet. Yeah, you
2: can get it all the time.
0: Right, finding um, finding fatheads bloviating.
2: I, and I was thinking, check I, us out I was, on News Nation. I was so excited, like beside myself, the first time that I ever did meet the press in twenty it was more than ten years ago. You and were I was ten just years thinking, old. Yeah, it was. I was a phenom. Right, I was. I was like. This reminds me of our friend Alex Thompson, who we I think we put up the video of him doing jump rope yes. with his arms on Jay yes. Leno when he was like 12. But how much has changed in that they don't drive—they they used to drive the news for the week right. because the you had to watch politicians the would sit shows. down and inter- do interviews Sunday, and that would set the agenda for the week. Just how much has changed?
0: Chuck Todd also, this I think there's it's worth noting with Chuck Todd, he—this was a long struggle against the MSNBC left uh, totally. that Chuck Todd, who is very left, was insufficiently progressive totally. in his efforts. And so this was he was ultimately sacrificed to this. And I don't think he ever really figured out how to do TV. Right. I think he I, I don't think he ever quite grasped a persona that was was good on TV. But anyway, condolences.
2: I thought he was fine, actually. Yeah, but that's that's me.
0: They can't all be Tony Snow.
2: Should we talk twenty twenty four? Let's do it. Okay, up first, we got the New York Times. This is like New York Times coverage of Republicans, trademark, trademark. Noah
0: Rothman writing our friend Noah Rothman, the great Noah Roth- Rothman writing in the National Review. <clears throat> New York Times reporters Jonathan Weissman and Trip Gabriel began with the challenge, how to make the square peg of the most diverse field of Republican yeah. presidential aspirates in memory fit into the round hole of Republican voters presumed racism. And he goes through and, and dissects the thing in which Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy yeah. and others that they're they're actually here. Here's the, the money paragraph in bolstering their own bootstrap biographies. With stories of discrimination, they have put forth views about race that are at ti- that at times appear at odds with their view of the country. Often denying the existence of a system of racism in America, while describing situations that sound just like it. Huh? Huh?
2: That bleeds right into I think Tim Scott's appearance on The View, which we should and play a let's, clip let's, of. Let's
0: let's hear let's hear what happens to Sunny Hostin when she tries to school Tim Scott on being black.
1: And one of the reasons why I'm on the show is because of the comments that were made, frankly, on this show, that the only way for a young African-American kid to be successful in this country is to be the exception and not the rule. That is a dangerous, offensive, disgusting message to send to our young people today, that the only way to succeed is by being the exception. I will tell you that if my life is the exception... uh, I can't imagine. I can't. But But it's not actually. Here's. Here's. It's been 114 years. Yeah. So, so the fact of the matter is, we've had an African American president. African American. Uh, Vice President. We've had two African Americans to be secretaries of the state. Uh, in my home city, uh, the police chief is an African American who's now running for mayor. The head of the Highway Patrol for South Carolina is an African American. Still in, 19, in 1975, um, there was about 15% employment in the African American community for the first time in the history of the country. It's under
2: 5%. 40% homelessness. And 50% of, of, 50% of the folks yet, in our community. And 13% may, uh, of the
1: population. I've watched you on the show that you like people to be deferential and respectful so i'm going to do the that same is thing
0: true. now this is significant yes because of the presumed racism part but it's also interesting because tim scott demonstrates here something that republicans have to remember and as they get ready to do their debates and as they get ready for as ron DeSantis figures out how to try to run for president really hostile media is good for you right It is good to face adversarial interviews. It is good to be in those situations. The place where you screw up.
2: Well, it's good if you can perform in them.
0: Well, but that's what I mean. If you can't perform, you're going to lose anyway. Right. Yeah. You cannot keep unless you are especially. So if you're if you're a Democrat, maybe. But if you're a Republican, you're not going to ascend to the presidency if you don't know how to do a hostile interview. Donald Trump is was president. Donald Trump became president because of his ability to deflect media attacks on him back to the Republican base. And as Republicans think about how to do debates, they have to understand if you can't handle Sonny Hostin, right, you're not going to be able to handle running for president in a general election. Up next. Oh, I love this. A great piece in The New Republic. The arrogance of already crowning Trump the Republican nominee. The press dismissed him in 2016. Why well, believe they're bullish predictions now? And I co-sign this piece by Walter Shapiro, where basically he says, what may what hubris it is to say that, you know, the trajectory of the Republican nominating contest. Donald Trump is the front runner, and he is the most likely to win the Republican nomination. I would have said the same thing about Jeb Bush accurately in the spring, late spring and summer of 2015. It doesn't turn out that way because stuff changes. And the the obs- the obsession with, as these people announce, Chris Christie announces for president, he has no chance, though Chris Christie has no chance. Mike Pence announces for president. Though Mike Pence is very unlikely to win, blah, 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 blah. Look, you can be realistic about their chances, but a little humility, please. It's not like we know what... As I, as I wrote in the dispatch, subscribe today, The we have more than 500 days to the presidential election. Many, many things will happen. We may get what is most probable, which is a rematch of 2020 with a similar result, but it may be very different and we don't know the ways in which it will be different.
2: I totally agree with that. Having lived through 2016, who would have thought Trump would have, would be the nominee in that contest? Jeb Bush was, in the beginning heavily favored all the donors got behind Marco Rubio and, and the thing Marco. that happened was first of all nobody expected Trump would be the nominee and then nobody expected that Trump would actually win so i i'm with you
0: i'm going to go out of order well I, first i want to read this good paragraph from Shapiro we simply don't know what will happen next year yes uttering the deadly words i don't know will automatically get you booted off cable tv but humility in the face of an uncertain future remains the only sensible mindset for assessing the 2024 terrain, and I will tell you this—that's not true. I, I agree with the premise, but it's not true. Check out—we'll—I'll pl- have a plug within a plug. I'll have a plug wrapped with a plug, which is—that's what we're trying to do on News Nation. And I will—I'm here to tell you, all three or four days a week. I don't know. But speaking of what happened in 2016 and Marco Rubio, I'm going to go out of order here, and we'll come back oh, to your to your thing.
2: This was amusing.
0: Just to get it, Marco Rubio on Twitter: Any political reporter slash commentator. Claiming Chris Christie, quote, ended, close quote, my campaign in 2016 is lazy or dumb. NH debate sucked because, get ready, instead of hitting back when attacked like I wanted to, I listened to advice about, quote, pivoting and not, quote, punching down on a CC who was at 7% and about to drop out. But I didn't. But it didn't end my campaign. After New Hampshire, I finished second in South Carolina and Nevada. Won three primaries, almost won Virginia on almost won Virginia on Super Tuesday. Finished with the third most delegates behind Trump's historic campaign, and was reelected twice by eight and seventeen points. There, but he also talked about.
2: Okay, can we just like pause on that for a second?
0: But he the original tweet. He must have edited this tweet because the original tweet that I that he talked about his bad advice bad. He cons- says
2: that here. He says I listen to advice about pivoting and not punching down.
0: Yeah. And but I thought it was even more more sharp. But this is like, give me a break, dude.
2: This tweet to me captured why he is not president and why we should be thankful he's not president, because blaming other people for the mistakes that you as the ostensible leader made is such a bad look, even though he's correct. He's right in his media criticism. But. Take responsibility. I, he's, o- he's
0: only he's he's only a little right. And first of all, it was seven years ago.
2: I know.
0: <laughs> so maybe be cool, but the the he he's wrong in this way. Marco Rubio's campaign was flailing, right? When he went into that, because just as you said, he was the like he was the thinking man's Ted Cruz. He was supposed to be the alternative, who was a conservative. The more conservative alternative to Jeb, but who was not as much of a panderer as Ted Cruz. And it was the, and it, who
2: had a compelling personal story, had a compelling personal who, story, um, hired reach smart a general people. election audience.
0: Yep. And and was it's sort of like if if Marco Rubio were as talented as Tim Scott, that's if Tim Scott would have had the, the lane that Marco Rubio did, he would have done much better with it. A senator with conservative bona fides, a compelling personal story, blah, 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 blah. What I find interesting about Rubio's retelling of this, reimagining of this is he leaves out the part where he was sucking wind, right? That Jeb Bush had dropped $110 million on him in negative ads, that Marco Rubio's campaign had not realized its potential. And then Christie, by eviscerating him in that debate, Made plain what people were already suspecting about him. So Chris Christie didn't end his campaign, but he hastened the end. He expedited. He 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 helped undo him. And I think speaking of the, just to to reiterate your point, when George W. Bush lost New Hampshire to John McCain in 2000, do you know what he did? He said, "It's my fault. I should have listened. I'm sorry." That's what he said to his staff. That's what he said to his people. That's what you're supposed to do when you have a ba- bad outing. You say it was my fault and I'm sorry, you don't say I'd listen to bad advice from people. Boo.
2: This follows on perfectly. Was it last week that we talked about yes. the Politico's hit job on Casey DeSantis? Yes. That quoted Roger Stone characterizing yes. her as Lady Macbeth. Well, the Daily Beast has a follow up to that. Not this week. to be so outdone. This is, this is a trope. That we're going to see by Katie Baker, the executive editor of The Daily Beast. The headline is Katie DeSant Casey excuse me, Casey DeSantis is the Walmart Melania. And the subheadline is trying too hard. She'd better hope that pleather is pudding proof. A reference to Ron DeSantis supposedly eating pudding out of a thing with his fingers, you know, plastic container. So she writes criticizing the fact that Casey DeSantis at a motorcycle ride political event convened in Iowa by Joni Ernst, she wore a leather jacket, and she said, Casey DeSantis's coat is just like her husband, Ron DeSantis's campaign. Crude, grasping, saying the ugly part out loud, whereas Trump would wink-wink at the fascists who can forget his dog whistle to the very fine people on both sides of Charlottesville. Who could forget? DeSantis wants to peel off Trump's base by being even more explicit about who he intends to target. You can see it right there on his wife's jacket. Desantis's Florida is where the woke go to die, and a lot of other people die as well.
0: Okay, that's funny. That I'll, I, This is a, this is a very a, a very nasty piece, but that is a funny line.
2: So you, anyhow, you can see the tropes developing.
0: It's hard to say one thing st- to say one is reading too much into a coat that's so explicit. And anyways, as the New York Times noted in a fawning profile. Yeah. The New York Times wrote a fawning profile of Casey DeSantis. I'm sure that's true. I'm yeah. just I'm just sure that it was a fawning profile. This is weird and obsessed. Neither Melania Trump nor Casey DeSantis could ever embody the class and effortless grace of Michelle Obama or Dr. Jill Biden. Cheese Louise. Jizz Louise. Wow. Oh, meatball follow-up file. Let Ron DeSantis identify however he wants. Now, Philip Bump at The Washington Post is being mean to Ron DeSantis, but, but being kind in another way because he talks about, and I think this is really worthwhile, which is that in for the Italian American community, pronunciation is fungible, right? And that people, and this is true in a lot of immigrant groups. My last name, we were immigrants a long time ago, but the Steigerwalds became Steierwalds, and immigrant groups changed their name. And that that is part of that, the perhaps the confusion around Ron DeSantis and Ron DeSantis. All right. <laughs> What else you got?
2: Do we have to talk about this Jen Saki and James Comey
0: thing? Come on. Oh, Lord. Come on. Oh, Lord!
2: All right. Jen Saki and James Comey game out 2024 scenarios involving Trump, quote, wearing an ankle bracelet while accepting the nomination. This is in Mediaite. Saki and Comey amused themselves over the pre- precognition?
0: Precognition.
2: I just learned a new word.
0: I guess over it's the a, precognition a yeah. of the
2: latter's quip. Lordy, I hope there are tapes from 2017. Since Trump is facing legal battles on multiple fronts, Saki asked Comey if he was concerned that Trump could become the GOP nominee before these cases go to trial. I could. I don't want to, but I could, Comey said. It's, crazy. it's a crazy world that Donald Trump is dragging this coal country into, but he could be wearing an ankle bracelet while accepting the nomination at the Republican convention.
0: To interview James Comey, On these matters, I'm trying to think of what the Fox comparison to this would be, would be to have like Sean Hannity interview Steve Bannon about January 6th. Like James Comey is so thoroughly discredited. And after his catastrophic tenure at the FBI, where he has been made a laughingstock of.
2: To have Jen Psaki, the former press secretary of the Biden administration do the interview
0: it's just, of the
2: guy who presided over the the, the BS investigations of Trump.
0: The, I, I can't imagine the thinking that went into.
2: And it is interesting that this is where CNN's ratings went to MSNBC to consume this content.
0: Well, this is what this is what yes this is what the addicted want, right? Which is this sort of cosplay. This live-action role-playing of the alternate history in which James Comey did not screw up so thoroughly, royally, in 2016 that he was not humiliated, that Andrew McCabe and others in the FBI being prosecuted. It's just, like, woof.
2: This actually leads perfectly into our next item. Well, those two are in the land of conspiracy theories involving Russiagate and— the FBI, and Trump wearing an ankle ankle bracelet while he accepts the Republican nomination. Tucker Carlson's show debuted on Twitter. He had a—and I think there are a couple notable things. First of all, as of right now, and I want to click through, we're recording Thursday morning, and Twitter shows that it has 104.7 million views. That's That's a lot of views. That's a lot lot of of views. views. That is what Twitter is showing. That's a
0: third of the nation.
2: And so tons of views. The other interesting thing is that it's only a monologue, no guests, and it's 10 and a half minutes long. So the show is just the monologue and it's gotten shorter. And the third interesting thing is that it is, I would say, like back to back conspiracy theories suggesting to people you know, to viewers that everything that they're told is a lie. And, well, you know, I'm on the right. I, I share some of Tucker's views. He goes on, and I think we should play the clip to say yeah, that, like, it. what you're told about 9-11 and the JFK assassination and all of that. he takes, like, the full-on conspiracy theory view of things. So let's play that.
0: The media lie. They do. But mostly they just ignore the stories that matter. What's happened to the hundreds of billions of US dollars we've sent to Ukraine? No clue. Who organized those BLM riots three years ago? No one's gotten to the bottom of that. What exactly happened on 9-11? Well, it's still classified. How did Jeffrey Epstein make all that money? How did he die? How about JFK? And so endlessly on. Not only are the media not interested in any of this, they are actively hostile to anybody who is. Okay, what about so that's a lot. What and Alex Jonesian.
2: And so what I think is interesting is that he 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 links all these different things together to say like there is a full that every every single one of these things, 9/11, the JFK assassination, the Russia war, every single one of these things is a lie as opposed to like, you know, considering them discreetly. And then he The thing he really talks about for about six minutes here is the Russia Ukraine war, and he says it's a problem that we're supposed to take for granted that Ukraine is the good guy, Russia is the bad guy. We should support Ukraine, and he criticizes Nikki Haley, among others, for saying that Ukraine security is America's security, and says she gives no arguments for this. He also doesn't give arguments. For and, his side right. of the it, it the, is an
0: emotion-based, <clears throat> an emotion-based appeal. And of course, he's just saying, we're just asking questions. We're just asking questions about 9-11. We're just asking questions. How come they don't want us to know the truth? I want to know about the allegations of anti-Semitism.
2: I listen to this carefully, and I think he steps right up to that line, and I think it is intentional. He calls Zelensky sweaty and rat-like, a comedian turned oligarch, a persecutor of Christians and says he something like he's in the pocket of Blackrock or he's doing the bidding of Blackrock. Zelensky is he's half Jewish, but he is a prominent Jewish politician on the world stage. The Blackrock thing seemed to me totally out of nowhere. Did I miss something?
0: Sweaty and Um, sweaty, rat like comedian and Screwing around. Yeah. um,
2: Zelensky, Blackrock. I'm actually looking that up right now. Oh, so he met with the Blackrock chief. I mean, give me a break. He, I think he is, like, intentionally deploying yeah. classic anti-Semitic tropes. But, of course, that's the ultimate conspiracy theory. Right. You know, Protocols well, of the Elders Kanye. of Zion. Kanye, yeah.
0: who he interviewed. So let me make an analogy. Speaking of Jews in the News, Mel Brooks and Gene Wilder. So the two of the funniest movies ever made in history— are Young Frankenstein and, of course, Blazing Saddles. Young Frankenstein and Blazing Saddles represent the tension, the creative tension between Mel Brooks and Gene Wilder, his star. And in Young Frankenstein, it's more cerebral. It's a more cerebral kind of humor that is the Gene Wilder's more, a little more sophisticated version. There's still some broad gags in it, but it's a little bit more esoteric. Blazing Saddles is more of Mel Brooks's slapstick campfire scene, all that stuff, and, and less of the Gene Wilder esoteric, but it's still in there, and the jokes are very smart, and there's context and subcontext and lots of interesting stuff. The tension between the two of them made really good movies. The creative tension between the two of them made really good movies. Wilder or Brooks without Wilder and Wilder without Brooks were not nearly as funny as they were when they were pushing against each other. And the Mel Brooks stuff without him, the subsequent stuff, Robin Hood, Men in Tights, a favorite in my in my family, but not a not not the, the equal of those other two. And Tucker Carlson may have been in a very sweet spot when he was in tension with having people at Fox who were reigning him in. Right. So the, the creative tension for Tucker Carlson that was beneficial may have been having someone to say, Actually, you can't say that the Jewish president of Ukraine is a sweaty, rat-like oligarch who persecutes Christians. That's probably too far because there would have been somebody in the room who was Jewish or there would have been somebody in the room who was like, this is not where we want to go. And uh, there is something to be said for creative tension. There's a lot to be said for creative tension and there's a lot to be said against self-indulgence. We this talk? is why, this, this why our podcast is so good. <laughs> this is why it's so good.
2: Should we talk about Ukraine coverage?
0: Yeah, I just, I did want to say a word. The, there's been a lot of complaining about the the restrictions that the Ukrainian government and military are placing on Western reporters in Ukraine. You know who else places a lot of restrictions on reporters? The United States government. If you want to go into a war zone, you want to cover the war, you're going to have to accept these limitations. I, as, as a press freedom question, I think this is Max Tanney at Semaphore. No, it's Ben Smith at Semaphore writing about this tension, about journalists complaining about the Ukraine's limitations. I'm sure it's limitation. I'm sure it's not free press. I'm sure it's not like covering the United States. But then again, I don't expect the Ukrainian military to do that. Now, there is also a story that The New York Times did as proof of this concept about how the tension. Don't you, you? You've noticed this thing that happens. There's coverage about how they're this is sort of like the Ron DeSantis phenomenon. There's coverage about how if he's not nicer to the if they're not nicer to the press, he's going to get bit. And then here's the bite. The New York Times Nazi symbols on Ukraine's front line highlight front lines highlight thorny issues of history. You're like, oh, I see what's going on. So the coverage of this is not new. Right. These are militia groups. These are guys in militia groups who. Harken back to anti-Soviet, Nazi, blah 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 blah. Anyway, so I just the 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 battle over how butt-kissy the Ukraine coverage is and where we are in that is something that we will keep tracking.
2: You know, there was an interesting story that a liberal blogger in Florida, and it wasn't much covered, was arrested for leaking the excerpts of.
0: Oh yeah, the, yeah. What's the follow Tucker file Carlson's? on this one?
2: Tucker Carlson's show that got a lot of play. And in the aftermath of Carlson's filing or firing, excuse me, I would say it was like standard fare. Yes. Among reporters, commentators. Widely speculated. To say that Fox News was leaking these against Carlson. And Mediaite had an interesting piece. The headline was, is anyone going to retract their baseless claims that Fox News leaked the Tucker tapes? And I remember we talked about this here and saying that I was skeptical that Fox News was leaking these because they didn't really make Tucker look bad. No,
0: they made him Um, look because he's joking. This is where he's joking with Piers Morgan and stuff. Yes.
2: And so Alex Griffin at Mediaite writes, with the revelation that federal authorities are investigating a potential hack at Fox News, the question remains... Will any of the figures who baselessly accused Fox of being behind the leak retract their comments? While the investigation continues and the source of the leak still remains uncertain, all the information that has come to light in recent weeks only has served has, ser- has only served to farther reinforce the notion that Fox leadership was not behind the leaks, no matter how juicy a media drama it would make. And this really reminded me of the coverage of the Trump administration, where I think there is some there's something in the water that because Fox is a bad actor, has been a bad actor, there's an idea that, like, you don't have to abide by the same right. journalistic rules or principles. Because Trump is a bad actor, like, you can be sloppy, you can get things wrong, it right. doesn't matter. Nobody's effect. really going to yeah. call you on it. And it's crap. I saw it so much covering the Trump administration, where you there was so much more leeway to be sloppy, and I think the same is true of Fox, and this is a good example.
0: Okay, speaking of sloppy... Roy Schwartz, one of the was is he a founder of yes founder of
2: Axios former Ac- Axian Cookie Ax-
0: yes if, and if if this is going to cost you your multi million dollar payout on Axios don't we'll we'll stop Cookie anytime you want Cookie wouldn't be pre-
2: here producing our show if he if he had the multi million What are you kidding? I'm a
0: rich millionaire. My doctor says to do this for my health. Okay, yeah. Caddyshack quotes for ten million dollars. All right, Roy Schwartz, the who describes himself as the other Axios founder is beefing with the New York Times because the New York Times had a bullet point in their article that said why it matters. And at least they didn't have be smart, but they did this. And he said, it's one thing to copy stories without credit, but the New York Times is copying the entire Axios format exclamation point. Come on, Meredith Levien, A-G-S-N-Y-T.
2: That's the Arthur Schwartz.
0: Oh, and New York. Or,
2: or not Arthur. Excuse me. It's Ar- Arthur Salzberger. Excuse me. And NYC <laughs> scribe.
0: Surely you have your own ideas. Yeah. And don't, if you're going to copy something, don't copy Axios's patronizing. But also, uh,
2: simmer down, right? Simmer down.
0: They didn't say be smart. They said why uh, it matters. You
2: know, you guys, you guys made out like bandits. You're doing very well. You don't need to snipe at people.
0: Be smart. Don't be so, don't be so. Be smart.
2: I think this violates some of the rules of your finish line (laughs) newsletter that talk about, you know, how to live your best life.
0: That's right. Okay. Associated Press, LGBTQ kids of color feel less welcome at school as bans become law. The complaint about the AP story is twofold. Number one, it's factually wrong in a couple of places, but significantly, they're frightening children. This is the Associated Press, Frightening Children, saying that these, here's a, across the district, panels and parents and students told the board stories of slurs, hate speech, and sometimes violence directed towards transgender children. But other adults pressed forward in their effort to restrict inclusion. During one board meeting, when a transgender student was speaking, rather than listening, a group of parents whispered to each other. One adult audibly asked, is that a girl? Recently, Tennessee passed a bill that would protect teachers from discipline or other consequences if they misgender their students. At the time, this is one of the girls talking about, and she said, she thought about how a routine day, how, how she thought about how routine a day it was taking away a whole group of people's rights to be who they are. That's just like, this is a typical day. I think I was more scared that that was a reality than I was sad about the bill itself. And the bill does not ban as the. They ask the children about the children talk about does not ban the teaching of African American history. That's not what it does.
2: Beyond that, the reporting here does not verify or confirm any of these incidents. It is a bunch of gossip and hearsay. It says parents and students told the board stories of slurs, spe- hate speech, violence directed toward their children, but other adults. And, and the language they use pressed forward in their effort to restrict inclusion. That is not an accurate characterization it's not accurate. of what
0: and they're using is and they're yet. using children as pawns, right? the and it's it was really most unfortunate. I want to say a quick word about Pat Robertson, and I do this for fear that it will go in the don't care bucket. Yeah, <laughs> but Pat Robertson, who died as we're recording this, he his his death was announced today. And the significant thing about Pat Robertson that's being focused on in the political press is about the way that he fused evangelical Christianity with the Republican Party and conservatism and all of that. And he did run for president, and that's all very true. But the significance of Pat Robertson historically in America, that was something that was going to happen. The significance of Pat Robertson is that he brought high production value television news style tv to evangelical television so there had been religious broadcasters from the first broadcast that has been a mainstay you can go back to father coughlin you can go back throughout religious broadcasting has been a big business what pat robertson did with his 700 club and the christian broadcasting network was bring high value production to virginia beach and bring put forward a a product that spoke to all of these Christians across America at a time of the evangelical eruption around the country. And Pat Robertson, it got very weird. I'm not saying it didn't get very weird. But he was, whatever else he was, he was an excellent TV producer and changed the way religious broadcasting was by, by making it high a high-end product that it had not been before.
2: Chris, that brings us to... It's time. Our style section... And first up, we have Mark Zuckerberg slamming the New York Times, which claims that he was choked out at a jujitsu tournament after a ref said he started to snore while in the chokehold. This is the Daily Mail story. So the quote is, that never happened. Mark Zuckerberg slams New York Times. And they write a clip of him wrestling on the floor and trying to break free from an opponent who pinned him down on the mat went viral. That never happened. Zuckerberg wrote in an email. There's something so primal about it. I don't know. Since then, I've just introduced a bunch of my friends to it. He's talking about how he loves jujitsu.
0: Brazilian jujitsu. Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Which is like my regular uncle, jiu-jitsu, but jiu-jitsu it has less man. hair.
2: But anyhow, he clearly is very prideful about his performance.
0: He He is. And the New York Times is mean to him. All right. So I love this. Speaking of the things that the New York Times does well. Do you know who Hannah Gadsby is? No. Okay, so she is an Australian comedian who is very upfront about her hatred of the patriarchy and her identity as a woman of same-sex attraction. And she, look, I don't like dunking on people. I don't like...
2: Okay, uh, okay. Well,
0: no, dunk, no, 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 no. Listen, listen. This is this is important. I don't like cruelty and dunking as media. I think it's bad. But can you dunk on a dunker? And the answer is, the New York Times says very emphatically, Jason Farrago at the New York Times very emphatically proves that, yes, you can dunk on a dunker. So the Brooklyn Museum of Art had a installation for Hannah Gadsby's, it's Pablo-matic, which is an attack on Pablo Picasso's work and it, what this writer does is give the Brooklyn Museum and Gadsby exactly what they deserve, which is, okay, you want to be taken seriously, you want to bring your riff on Pablo Picasso being a pig into the museum and talk about it, let's talk about it. And he does them the favor of taking them seriously. And if you enjoy people being set ablaze and shot out of a cannon into the sun, this this is the takedown that you can enjoy with real pleasure.
2: And Chris, you were also very excited about the. I actually just ate at McDonald's for the first time in a long time, and it was amazing. But you're you were very excited about the new purple shake.
0: This is courtesy of, of Vine Pair. Behold the nostalgic purple silliness that is it McDonald's really Grimace good. Shake. So the the but what I found interesting in the coverage of the new Grimace Shake at McDonald's is they're bringing in the backstory. They're bringing out the bat the origin story of Grimace, who started out as a, as a, as evil Grimace in 1972 it was a dark time in America and the 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 Watergate era Nixon was evil grimace and how he has changed to be just a pleasant gumdrop blob and friend of Ronald McDonald and I think Grimace needs you know Grimace needs some love and I'm 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 all I'm all in on the rehabilitation of Grimace
2: that brings us to our obsessions of the week. Where we break down the stories we can't get out of our heads. Chris, we all saw it. Joe Biden's spill like a sack of potatoes.
0: Went down like a bag of wheat. Yeah. the
2: Air Force Academy. And that spawned the New York Times story with four bylines on it. Inside the complicated reality of being America's oldest president. And lest you think we were going to get the report of how Biden's aides like have to cover for him and, you know, plan his naps and all this stuff, which is like the real story of the Biden presidency, we got the following. Yet people who deal with him regularly, including some of his adversaries, say he remains sharp and commanding in private meetings. Diplomats share stories of trips to places like Ukraine, Japan, Egypt, Cambodia and Indonesia, in which he often outlasts younger colleagues. So virile. Oh, my gosh. Democratic lawmakers point to a long list of accomplishments as, as proof that he still gets the job done. This reminded me of covering the Mississippi Republican Senate primary oh, in 2013 Thad or 2014. Nice. When Thad Cochran ran against. What was that guy's name?
0: Oh, yeah. Was, oh, yeah. Dark
2: haired guy. Yeah, that
0: was the guy who made Roy Moore look like Jeb Bush.
2: Um, yes. So. I remember Stuart Stevens and some of the Romney, the former Romney people were down running Thad Cochran's campaign. The guy had a foot in the grave. He was so old. I mean, he was like Biden, but older even. And I remember at a campaign stop like three hours from the airport, Cochran was like limping along. And Stuart Stevens, who's a youngish guy and he's athletic, he bikes, bikes all over the place, he comes and he like looks at the reporters and says, I can't keep up with this guy. I can't keep guy. up with this guy. Um, Come on. Yeah. It was such patent BS. But that is what is happening in this story.
0: While in office, then the dark side, while in office, Mr. Trump. Oh, yeah, they have concerns to about his like mental Trump. acuity yeah. and physical condition. He didn't
2: exercise.
0: And Trump definitely is seems he, crazy. There's no question about it. But that doesn't have anything to do with the fact that Joe Biden is so old and seems so old.
2: You know. 80 looks different on different people.
0: You're going to be a great old lady. I want to tell you right, right now, you're o- going to be over fabulous. Over to you, Chris. Chris, uh,
2: if I'm like, you know, if I'm shuffling around and stuff, like I'm not going to be at my desk.
0: You won't be. That's that's a different. You'll be a terror. You'll be a, you'll be that's a terror. You you'll be you'll be you'll be making it happen. I'm
2: not going to be at my desk.
0: Okay, Peace in the Guardian. This is my obsession. P and it's a, it's a long-running obsession for me. Peace in the Guardian that got picked up widely. Amazon and Google fund anti-abortion lawmakers through complex shell game. Blue chip companies gave to Republican group funneling money to lawmakers who overturned abortion ban veto in North Carolina. Guess who they, What? what is the complicated shell game? What is the secret way that they're doing it? Oh, they're giving it to the Republican State Leadership Committee, which is an existing way to give money to Republican lawmakers. So if you give any money to any Republican group, you are funding anti-abortion lawmakers. That's true. So the this is a very long story that makes it seem like so there is some nefarious thing, some secretive thing going on here. But if you're giving money to the Republican Senatorial Committee, if you're giving money to the NRCC, if you're giving money to the Republican National Committee, you are funding anti-abortion uh, lawmakers because the Republican Party is overwhelmingly pro-life. And what is happening, and this happened around January 6th as well which is the goal is to lump all Republicans into one thing and say, if you support if if you support Republicans on this issue, but not that issue, you can't give money to Republicans at all, because if you're doing so and the the effort to punish these tech companies for acting in their own self-interest, irrespective of the issue of abortion, is the kind of tribalistic cuckoo bananas stuff that, is not not your job not your job guardian.
2: Chris, that brings us to my favorite time of the week, which is reader mail. And we got a bunch of book recommendations so I just wanted to highlight a few of them. The first is from Joe Polange excuse me if I'm mispronouncing that from Cleveland, Ohio and Joe writes, First book that crossed my mind was Martin Gurri's *Revolt of the Public*, which I think provides important context to the strange shape of the media and political landscapes today, and the correct lens with which to view it all through. Next up, David Smith from Warrenton, Virginia. Hello, right? Warrenton. Yes. After Chris's bro- book *Broken News*, you well, cannot like go wrong with George Orwell. Oh yeah. Right, Way to go, David. Coming right after Chris is All old right, George Orwell. That's right. Clear-eyed, insightful, and well-written, long-form essays like "Politics in the English Language," "Shooting an Elephant," "Notes on Nationalism," "Why I Write," and "The Lion and the Unicorn" are essential reading. The mother load of his essays in the Everyman's Library's Every collection of George Orwell. The motherlode of his essays, excuse me, is the Everyman's Library collection of George Orwell's essays. It has everything and then some and comes in at a slim 1,369 pages. It's not exactly portable, but it is a great reference for every library and still available on Amazon. In addition, his book Homage to Catalonia is an unsparing view of the Spanish Civil War and 1984 shaped how we think about the state media and propaganda.
0: David Smith, way to go. Hearty endorsement. Way to go. That's a smart, smart writing. I want to share Leonard Goodnight, a a longtime friend of the
2: I have a response to Leonard Goodnight. Do you want to read it? Yes. Leonard says,
0: I wanted to express my surprise that the people of Eliana's homeland don't love their native big box store, Target. While I no longer live in Arkansas, the West Virginia of the Mid-South, accurate, we are quite proud to be the homeland of Walmart, greatest and best of all department stores, without whom... Northwest Arkansas would still be beautiful beautiful forested mountains full of hillbillies and chicken houses. All praise to Tyson. If we were our own country, we'd be as closely associated with Walmart as Sweden is with Ikea. What do Minnesota's, Minnesotans love? Ludafisk, Lakes? Winter? Cheese curds?
2: Okay. I just wanted to say I by no means am speaking for Minnesotans. I think I am an exception to the rule.
0: In many um, things,
2: in many things, I but I am an exception to the rule in that I think most Minnesotans feel pride in Target and all of these Lowercase. Things. General Mills, but I have never, just never felt at home in Minnesota. And
0: you got to New York as um, soon as you, could. yes, basically.
2: Yeah. So that's the answer to that question. So Leonard, don't um,
0: don't judge all of Minnesota harshly. Definitely
2: don't take what I say as indicative of how the people of Minnesota. Have you field. ever
0: eaten lutefisk? No. See? No. See, Leonard, she doesn't even know about no. it.
2: I know about it. No, but... she uh,
0: doesn't deeply feel no, it no. in her bones. No. Yes. Okay.
2: And that brings us to Chris's favorite time of the week, where I am forced to say something nice, and it's a good one this week. Chris, Chris, you kick it off. The
0: Washington Post, so glory, praise, and honor to my sister Janice, who flagged this The Washington Post, The Fugitive Heiress Next Door, in which The Washington Post does cool graphics and sort of a, what I would describe as a true crime podcast, brings a true crime podcast energy into a long form story about with all these twists and turns, fascinating graphics, really well told that they did about this great story that you'll have to read and well done. Way to go all in on this Washington Post. Kudos.
2: Chris. My nice thing to say is that, Chris, you were right. Oh. Chris, last week, I said Kevin McCarthy would get no credit for his role in the debt deal. And while the free beacon, Drew Holden over there, did a wonderful thing about how Biden got lots and lots of praise. And there was much more grudging acknowledgement of Kevin McCarthy's role. There was one piece that I wanted At to least acknowledge. One. Yes. yes. In Semaphore, the headline was, and we saw it right after we left this podcast last week. Did Washington underestimate Kevin McCarthy? And in that piece, Joseph Zebelos Roig and others write, The superlatives may be a little over the top, but McCarthy's allies have a point. The national press and much of official Washington appears to have underestimated the ban. Instead, McCarthy pulled off a legislative two-step, forcing Biden to the negotiating table by rallying Republicans behind a deeply partisan bill hardliners would agree to. Than keeping the right on board just long enough to hash out a viable compromise. Conservatives may be unhappy with the final bill, but for now there doesn't appear to be any serious effort to topple McCarthy. So, Chris, you were right. I'll and treasure my this. Nice I'll treasure this say. in my heart
0: for all. Yes.
2: Times. Well, that is the news we have about the news. If you have a story you want us to talk about, email us at wretches at nebulouspodcasts.com and sign up for our newsletter at nebulouspodcasts.com. This has been Ink Stained Wretches for Nebulous Media, produced by Colin Cookie Chicola. Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Wretches, and don't forget to leave a five-star review.